That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. So, listeners, you have a problem. And your problem is you got to preach Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, maybe Holy Saturday, possibly the Easter vigil. And then you got to go back and hit it out of the park for your Super Bowl of Sunday's preaching requirements on Easter Sunday. So that's your problem. We're here we to are help. here to help. Uh, but before we get into the readings from Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday on this bonus episode of Same Old Song, number 186, for those of you following along at home, Jake, are you doing okay? I am. I apologize to the all of our listeners for my mic problem. You know, clearly... Uh, uh, Mockingbird needs uh, some budget in that area, and so give to, to give to Mockingbird. No, I'm just kidding. I think we've got to figure it out, but I definitely were getting a new mic, so I apologize, everyone. It's okay. I gave up listening to quality podcasts for Lent. <laughs> Clearly, it's all good. It's all good. Um, and so, and then I'm also just very excited for you, Aaron. And so Waco's on the map with uh, Vanilla Ice, uh, uh, Color Me Bad, and uh, Young MC, who now goes by the handle Middle-Aged MC, are coming Aww. to Waco, and that's very exciting. It is. I'm going to have to break out my hypercolor t-shirt, sweatshirt. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Timberlands, <laughs> early Timberlands. Up. That's right. It's going to be It's going to be great. All right. So let's get into the text. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about. This is a bonus episode, everybody. So this is for Monday Thursday. Long. That's right, <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna get to it. Monday Thursday. If anybody's new to this podcast and not from the Anglican Episcopal Catholic tradition, Lutheran Monday has nothing to do with Monday. If anybody you know says Monday Thursday, you need to rebuke them in the name of the Lord. If you find yourself saying it, you need to drop to your knees and repent. Mm-hmm. Monday comes from the phrase in Latin Novum Mondatum new commandment which is in the john reading which is traditionally read on maundy thursday because jesus said on that night i give you a new commandment and so i guess i feel like in the days the reason we call all these things this is because the church used latin for so many years but clearly they weren't really great at their latin otherwise we call it mandatum thursday but we just shortened it to maundy we're like australians you know australians shorten everything (laughs) it's not breakfast that word is too long and complicated so they call it brekkie Present, too long. Shorten it. Prezi. Why is it better? It's still two syllables. I don't know. But there's lots of shortening that goes on in Australian English. But anyways, Mondi is where we get, that Mondatum is, is where we get Mondi. And that's uh, here endeth the rather annoying and pointless lesson on church terminology. So, but on this day, we uh, commemorate, uh, as Christians, we're brought into this last week of Jesus' life. If you remember, you just probably finished listening to a Palm Sunday <clears throat> podcast or... Maybe you'll listen to that afterwards. You should probably listen to it before. But, you know, we're brought into the story of Jesus. And so on Monday, Thursday, we're brought into uh, that upper room where Jesus sups with his disciples. <laughs> and uh, 
And he, he gives them a new command. And that new command is that they love one another as he has loved them. And it manifests itself in the washing of feet, you know, holy pedicure, and also uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper. We just had a staff member who's preparing our bulletins. He was like, please tell me we're not doing a foot washing. Are you kidding? We are. I know. You guys, you guys go, you go whole hog. We don't, we've never done it. We do it. It's so good. Do it up. Uh, There's this great clip in Family Guy at the Last Supper where Stewie (laughs) travels back in time. And at the end, Jesus, at the end of Last Supper, Jesus is like, so uh, should we split this like 13 ways? And Stewie whispers in Judas's ears like, hey, Judas. Jesus had like five margaritas and you just ordered a salad, (laughs) which is pretty great. That is amazing. So, and that's uh, why, that's when Judas decides to portray Jesus, not actually in the readings for this night, but so mm. Monday Thursday is big for uh, a couple of reasons. It is the night on which Jesus gets arrested, uh, which leads to the events of Good Friday. It's the night in which he invents Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, the Holy Eucharist, all these terms. He comes up with it. He invents it. It didn't exist before that. Right, he takes all he of institutes thing, it. But he, he takes, institutes yeah, it. Yeah, but he takes all of these things from the Old Testament, from yes, the Passover does. Seder. These very significant pieces. I know, I love it. But uh, um, And he points them to himself. I just couldn't let that stand. Yeah, so. he doesn't invent it out of thin air. Yes, you're right. He takes things that are already there and he puts them all together. And he institutes the Lord's Supper. And he does the foot washing, to which you've already referred, and which we will not mention again. And those are the three things for Monday Thursday. And so my favorite, churches... my favorite part of the foot washing ceremony is when someone takes their sock off and they're like, you can clearly see it. it's like red. You know what I mean? You're like, Bro, you need some cream. <laughs> this is why ingrown toenails are the whole reason why we don't do foot washings. Or if you do it, you better have pre-screened the feet. You got to choose. There's no volunteers from the audience for the foot washing. How you, how'd you walk up here with that bunion? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I came to church and I left with a French manicure on my toes. Do all of all a sudden, all of a sudden the people that come up like uh, at Calvary just dwindled right now. They're like, Jake's going to make a joke about my feet. I'm saying, <laughs> I thought, I thought this was co- confidential. The quality of my, my foot hygiene. <laughs> It's just fodder for your jokes, Jake. <laughs> you walk in those shoes? So <laughs> uh, it'd be All like, right. if you showed up at the burning bush, Moses, God would be like, take your shoes off for this is holy ground. And then you take your shoes off. And then it'd be like, oh, wait, just kidding. Put them back on. It's fine. It's fine. Put them back on. <laughs> We're not ready to redeem those feet yet. That's going to take another 3,000 years. So. <laughs> Yeah, keep those shoes on till Jesus gets there. All right. Anyway, so we uh, so but all of this is tied into the Passover, and uh, and actually, what's going on here is actually with Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, building up to the Easter Vigil. If you do that, um, is all about. It's like basically, uh, it's one giant liturgy. It's a, it's a four part scene, and so here we are tonight in the upper room, and so uh, we're looking at the idea of the Passover. And do this in remembrance of me. And our readings are from Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Then we have 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. And then uh, John 13, 1 through 17. And then 31b to 35. And we may touch on Luke just in case. Yeah, so if you, so Episcopal clergy, if you're using lectionarypage.net, 
that's how cool the Episcopal Church is. Uh, it lists this reading from John 13, and it actually is a little bit different from what's listed in the prayer book. The prayer book on the Monday Thursday page lists uh, reading also the John 13, but just 1 through 15. Um, and then it lists this reading from Luke 22, um, chat of verses 14 through 30. The difference being the John 15 reading is the washing of the feet, uh, and the, the Luke 22 reading is the, is the institution of the Lord's Supper. Because uh, you'll see uh, in the John 15 reading, or John 13 reading, excuse me, surprisingly, there is no Lord's Supper. I mean, it's in the... It's in the, it's in the Corinthians. It's in the... Yeah. Um, it, it talks about that it's a Passover meal, etc. But it doesn't do the thing where, like, this is my body, this is, you know. Mm -hmm. Jesus talks about it in a teaching in John chapter 10, which is a different scene. But anyways, all that to say is, if which reading you pick is going to depend whether you're preaching about foot washing and new commandment, which is the John 13 reading, or whether you're going to talk about the institution of the Lord's Supper, which is the Luke 22. And if you don't, yeah, so as, as Jake said, if you don't include the Luke 22 reading and you want to talk about the institution of the Lord's Supper, it is referenced in the 1 Corinthians 11 reading. Anyways, so what are we actually going to preach? We'll talk a little bit about Exodus. We'll talk a little bit about Corinthians. We'll talk about the meaning of the night and whether you preach on John 13, foot washing, or Luke 22, Last Supper. Either one works and the main ideas are still the main ideas. So, Jake, what do you when you ascend into the pulpit at Calvary St. George's on Maundy Thursday after washing the stanky feet of your congregation. No, before. This is a preach before. Sorry. That's mm -hmm. right. Sorry. So before you wash their stanky feet, mm -hmm. what are you going to say on Monday Thursday? Well, I think there's a lot to say. And the first, uh, you know, one of the powerful things to preach on is this Exodus passage. So, um, and what makes this Exodus passage great is it really uh, foreshadows everything that's about to happen um, in, in the Lord's Supper. And so... Um, First of all, the setting is basically this is the last night. The, the, the last plague is about to strike um, strike Egypt, and uh, all of the firstborns are going to be killed, and um, in, including animals and everything like that. And what's interesting about this particular plague is, is that in the previous plagues, God has spared the Hebrew peoples like cattle from the hail, uh, spared the Hebrew people from the gnats and all of these things. But this one, it is, I'm coming through there, and God is coming in as total judge. And, uh, and they are told to basically uh, eat this lamb, uh, the firstborn, and, uh, which symbolizes on one level the firstborn of everything. And so I think what's important to remember here is that the Passover of the Lord, uh, what, it's not that like God needed, why is the blood on the, on the doorpost? It's not like God was like, oh, is that a Hebrew house or not? Because he clearly in the other plagues knows. It is that um, what uh, ultimately spares all of us judgment is the sacrifice of another. And in everyone's home that night in Egypt, there was a dead firstborn. It may have been a son, which was actually an attack on, uh, the, on Pharaoh himself, who was the son of Ra, the firstborn son of Ra. But in, in the house as well is, um, is a, a dead lamb. And so, and uh, why judgment 
why death passes over the Hebrews is not because they're Hebrew, but because they put the blood on the door. And it's interesting when you read further on in the book of Exodus, there are people from other nations that escape with them. Clearly, they're painting the door on the post as well. And so, um, but this day shall be a day of remembrance for you. And this is a very important thing in what we're doing also in Holy Week. A day of remembrance, and we've said it here several times, is not about, hey, wasn't that great? That this day shall be a day of remembrance for you is a day that you are brought back into that very moment. You were brought back into that moment where uh, God actually met you. You, even though you weren't there, you're brought back into that moment so that you will never forget that God is the one by virtue of blood who has uh, passed over you and uh, by virtue of blood has uh, not judged you unto death. So this is a very, very significant night and I think um, is very important because what we're about to enter into is, uh, is the Passover uh, from death into life. Uh, where uh, because of the blood of Jesus that covers you, uh, God ultimately will pass over you as well and raise you to new life. And uh, But there's all sorts of, I mean, things you could talk about, provision and, uh, and uh, meeting you. But the main thing you want to get across is you are passed over uh, because uh, of the blood. Yeah, and I think one of the things, uh, if you preach on this passage, and it's good to mention it because, again, it's Monday Thursday. It's the last time you celebrate communion before Easter. And it's uh, the one time of the year where it really ties together that this that communion is connected to Passover. And so this has the Passover reading. And you can say that essentially communion, which builds and pulls together, as you said, Jake, from Passover. Jesus didn't invent it. He kind of took it and brought it into a new territory, a new way to remember it. Not just once a year on Passover, but much more frequently uh, through communion, he takes this idea that people who were trapped by something they couldn't escape, a completely unsolvable problem, which everybody has in life, and by the death and the blood of another, you get freedom from that thing. And that's, you know, the story about you got to boil it, you got to slaughter at twilight, boil it, eat it, kind of dressed and ready to go, like with your backpack on your back, basically. It's like mm -hmm. God's about to set you free. So there's a message of getting freed from something that you can't do on your own, uh, and it comes through blood. And this is this points to what Jesus is going to do uh, with this with his death that's about to come, and also have us remember and continually enter into and live into this reality um, through his death on the cross. So, which is the First Corinthians reading, very short, and just basically says like, "This is what it, it all points to." This is what to. it is. Yeah, Where it's it a Passover it's meal. He took a piece of bread, which would have been this unleavened bread because it's Passover. Very thin. So if you're using a giant brioche, it's not in the spirit of the text. Um, I like my Jesus as a Hawaiian roll. It's like that commercial for Cheez-Its. It's like cheesy communion <laughs> wafers with real Wisconsin cheddar. Don't do it. So uh, Jesus takes the bread and says, this is my body. And he takes the cup and says, this is my blood. And he's doing this at a meal where there's like a lamb that everybody helped kill right before they mm -hmm. eat it. And so making it very clear, like, yes, the lamb's blood. Yes, it's right there. The lamb is there. We've all just eaten it. But this is my blood in the new covenant. Uh, and it's a proclamation, as it says, of his death. Yeah, it's a preaching act almost. So, yeah. uh, you know, to get, I mean, what we are doing gathered together is we are proclaiming the Lord's death 
until he comes again. And that's very, very important uh, because that is that ties into the John reading, what we're going to talk about. We, we, I mean, we, we, we banter around silly phrases sometimes like resurrection people, and that's all true. But, I mean, the real emphasis here is on, um, on, this, on these nights is uh, the death of Jesus um, uh, for the salvation of the world. Uh, That's right. He is our propitiation. He is our atonement. And uh, this language is just all over this week. I don't know how you can actually celebrate Holy Week without it. Yeah, and there's a lot of people that want to make Holy Communion more of a fellowship meal. Uh, but that is, while they were all at the table for the Lord's Supper, the 12 disciples, what he's doing here, he's not instituting a hangout time. He's instituting... Yeah. Um, something that is connected it's about to him. Passover. It's about that him. So this is my you. blood. This is my body broken for you. My blood poured out for you. This is this is about my death, as he explicitly says in First Corinthians eleven. This is not about us hanging out and having a good time. It's it's uh, it's a meal that's about death and sacrifice and atonement. And mm. he's saying, I want you to remember this and continue to do it until I come back. And so uh, the John thirteen. This is what 15, I'm going to This read is the what I would passage. preach on right here this year. Okay, I'm doing the Luke 22, so we can you can. So let me tell you what I would say. Tell Jake, why are you right? No, no, I'm not right. I just uh, this is this is what we're going to preach, okay. and um, I think it's perfectly fine to do the Luke passage if you're a heretic. But uh, no, <laughs> just kidding, Aaron. Um, the idea here is is that what you are watching is this is the um, this is basically the opening act of how low Jesus is going to go. You remember in uh, Philippians where St. Paul talks about, although, uh, although, uh, counted, although uh, in the form of God, he counted equality with God, uh, something not to be grasped, but humbled himself uh, to the point of even death. And uh, basically what we're gonna see in there, uh, I had a wonderful curate named Jay Gardner, and he talked about this one time. Um, and he's uh, the rector of an Episcopal church in Coleman, Alabama now. But I remember he talked about what you are watching here is God going low. Uh, so uh, essentially with the foot washing, the only people who um, ever washed feet were the slaves. And so in doing this act, Jesus is going from the teacher. Uh, he's going low. And now he is taking on the form of a slave. But what we're about to watch, what we're about to watch through the rest of the day is that Jesus is even going to go lower. He's going to go from being a slave to a criminal. And guess what? He's even going to go lower. And he's going to go from being a criminal uh, to uh, um, a rebel nailed on a cross. Now, it doesn't get any lower than that, does it? Sure does. He's going to go lower to the tomb. And uh, boy, it gets even lower than that because he goes to hell itself. Uh, Jesus goes the lowest. And the good news of the gospel is, is so often we're thinking we have to ascend somewhere to climb and meet God. And in our pursuits and in our ascensions, uh, we wind up uh, falling uh, low. And uh, uh, the point of this night is to set the tone with the foot washing that there is nowhere 
uh, where you're at that is so low, Jesus hasn't already gone and is meeting you there. And he's meeting you right there in the bread that is his body and the wine that is his blood at your lowest moment because he's gone even lower. And the good news of the gospel is, is that because he's gone so low, um, the lowest of the low couldn't hold him down. And he, raised, he was raised again on the third day. And the promise of the gospel is in your lowest point, it too shall be raised yeah, again. Yeah, and I would say uh, there's a temptation here in this passage to preach this passage as advice of how to be a good Christian, where it makes it much more about you washing mm. the feet of others in a metaphorical sense. You serving others, uh, you serving the least and the lost, which is true, and it is a good thing to hear. But I would say that the thing to the thing that's really surprising here is that Jesus washes feet. So I don't, I don't want any. If if this is the passage you're reading and preaching on, I wouldn't want anybody to leave church on that Thursday night feeling like the main message is go wash the feet of others. Again, metaphorically speaking, no, what you no, want no, them leaving no. feeling is that Jesus is washing their feet. And you got to take it to the place where, uh, I mean, even the fact that like my staff was sort of skeeved out by the idea of like washing somebody's feet. And it does seem like, and this is why actually, Jake, to your point, when you do wash people's feet in a liturgical setting, there is something sort of wonderfully scandalous about it. And that's why people do it because it's like this intimate thing and it's a revealing of a part of yourself that unless you live in Key West, you try to show, uh, you try to try to hide. Like, you know, we wear closed toe <laughs> shoes and we don't let people see our feet and all that sort yeah, of stuff. That's right. And, um, and here you're saying like in this public setting, take off your shoes, take off your socks, show me your feet and let's wash them. So this is making physical what's supposed to happen in church. Like open up your heart your mind, the things that trouble your conscience, the things that weigh you down, the things you're ashamed of, your secrets. Open that up and let the Lord clean that place. Let him forgive. Let him pardon. Let him wash all that away, which is why, the sadly, the part they cut out of this passage, verses 18 through 30, is the part where Peter's like, no, don't wash my feet. And Jesus says, no, but I have to. Um, the, I think that mm. you want people leaving church feeling like they have been washed, they have been cleansed. And the miracle of Jesus giving us yeah. the Lord's Supper is also to say, like, you're going to forget this. You may feel washed and cleansed when you leave church on Sunday. I was just having a conversation with a parishioner about this. But, like, as soon as Monday morning hits, it's back to the same old, like, uh, thing of the, the glow has worn off. But... Uh, this is why Jesus gives us the Eucharist to come back Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and remember, as as the passage says in First Corinthians, this proclaims his death until he comes, reminds us of how much Jesus loves Amen. us that he goes to the very end, as low as he can possibly go. Absolutely. And by the way, if you talk about the Luke 22 passage, if you preach on that, um, I think there's a lot of things you could say. I think one of the things that to me always is very powerful is uh, the fact that he does it... <clears throat> was a couple of things. It's actually not in the Luke reading, but the fact that like people are going to betray him, sit at the table. Well, he does mention it, verse 21. Um, yet he still gives this person the bread and the wine, Judas. But the, the fact that after Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, this amazing, beautiful act of sacrifice and self-giving and compassion and forgiveness, then the disciples start arguing about which one of them is the greatest. And so it just shows the tendency for human sin. As we were saying, you might leave church feeling great on Sunday, but by Monday you're the same old, same old. That's what happens to the disciples. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. It's great. And the second it's over, you know, the final blessing has been given. And then 
then there's an argument about which one of them is the best. They're back in the selfish stuff. So if you're a human being who can't quite get it together and always seems to be sliding back into a self-centered, sinful, uh, anxious, neurotic life, well, welcome. And Jesus still goes to die for these people. And that's why he gives us this great sacrament to remember that always and forever. Then we come to uh, Good Friday, and uh, really, I mean, there are, the texts on Good Friday are long. Uh, you have the reading from John's, uh, uh, John's Passion, and, uh, and that's because typically on Palm Sunday, the reading is from the, the appointed gospel of the year, and so we get into John on Good Friday. Um, but really, um, with your sermon here, and I, Aaron, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I basically was kind of always taught this is the one day where um and i love uh, what ben phillips once said when he was preaching a good friday service he was like uh this is the one day we just kind of sit in our filth um and uh we come to grips with the fact that uh you know when you see the the nails in his hands when you see the nails in his feet when you see the wound in his side um and you see the thorn crown crown of thorns on his head know that you wrought this. Um, this was uh, because of you, um, yet it's totally for you. Yeah, and I think, too, I mean, there's, if, you, <clears throat> if you've been to Israel, you can talk about the place where Jesus literally gets lowered into this hole, which is sort of this prison under Caiaphas's house. Oh, and he yeah, would have been, pretty, yeah, Friday night, he would have been, well, Thursday night would have been waiting there. And then Friday, he's brought out and has this kind of trial um, in the court of Caiaphas's house. Um, but just think about Jesus's night on Thursday, on that Monday, Thursday night, beginning of Good Friday, just in a pit. And this, to your point earlier, Jake, about how low does Jesus go? He goes down to this pit. He comes out. He visibly sees his friend deny ever knowing him uh, three times. And uh, it's it's just, uh, it's Jesus getting abandoned, betrayed. And I think that, I, you do want to meditate on that. And as you say, sit in the filth, like meditate on the power mm-hmm. and the horror of it and don't sugarcoat it at all. But then I think it's also important <clears throat> to note that he did this on purpose and he did it for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that there, what would you say? There's, I think there's a fine line between meditating on this and turning it into like a fetish. Yeah. Can I speak um, to that? And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I was, well, I was throwing it was up a, for you. A preacher so, I knew once who, on this, on good at a Good Friday service, read a passage from Elie Wiesel's Night about the hanging death of a thirteen-year-old boy, and very graphic terms of like a purple tongue, yeah. like coming out of you know, just very, very graphic. And that's not the point. Like that sort of gets it. I mean, you you don't want to sugarcoat, you don't want to deny, yeah. but as Jake said, don't fetishize it. Um, there's I've, I've sat in sermons, too, where everybody, like, you know, they read them what, like, you know, I guess 20 years oh, ago, yeah. somebody wrote a yeah, medical yeah, yeah. report of what would I have. You know, you're like, okay, I, all right, thanks. You know, the, the point is, is that this is for the sins of the world. And so um, uh, keep it, I mean, it's historical, but keep it theological and make sure that this is applied to the heart. Uh, people should leave unsettled, but not creeped out. I would agree with that. And um, I think there's an element of grief to this passage. Um, And I think it's just very, very sad. 
and you and you don't really want to hint too much at Easter. You want to leave it on Good Friday because you want Easter to hit um, with all of its glory and freshness and power. And so uh, I think you can talk a lot about the darkest places in life and God being mm-hmm. with us even in those places. And I think that's the kind of stuff that I that I would hit on. And you don't need to say too much. Again, the words, the music, the prayer does a lot. I think you can talk about the... I mean, I think I, I always try to say something about the fact that um, that life is excruciating many times. And there's not a single person on the planet that really feels like he or she is doing it right. And there's loss and pain and hurt and trauma and rejection and grief. And Jesus Christ enters into all of it throughout his life, but especially here. And he goes through the thing that we're actually most scared of, the thing we're most terrified of, which is death. And he does it all. I think that's what I would say. And uh, you don't have to make people... This you don't doesn't, have to this doesn't have blow. to be a long, but this doesn't have to be a long sermon either. You know, this is you know, um, yeah. I would just focus on uh, this is this is us at our best day. You know what I mean? As the old saying goes in AA, our best our best ideas got us right here, and mm-hmm. uh, that's where it got us. We crucified the Son of Man. Uh, this is this is what happens when um, because we want to do it our way. And uh, God is merciful and uh, gives us what we want and uh, then completely redeems it and uh, makes a way out of no way and uh, calls us home to him through it. Yeah, and I think since we've already had this podcast go longer than you'll preach on either Monday, Thursday or Good Friday. It was really your and fault. I know. I take, I take full. I mean, what's important is that we establish whose fault it is. Yeah. And it's clear that it's mine. <laughs> And so I own and that. Jesus wept. Uh, no, I apologize. But, well, I know, but I do want to say one thing about the Easter Vigil, and it's very exciting. And uh, and that is that in uh, there is an amazing sermon by uh, Saint John of Chrysostom uh, that is preached in the Orthodox Church, no matter what, every Easter um, Easter Vigil. And the Easter Vigil is a powerful, powerful service because it's a service first and foremost of the Word. There's a lot of these readings from the Old Testament that point to Jesus and find their fulfillment. And so it starts in the dark. And the reason why it starts in the dark is because um, this God is the God we don't necessarily see. This God is the God that we wouldn't necessarily want to look at. Um, And so he's the God who speaks and needs to be heard. And um, St. John of Christostom sums it all up, what we're getting ready to celebrate um, at the Easter Vigil when he preached this. He says this, this is a direct quote. Enjoy ye all the feast of faith. Receive ye all the riches of loving kindness. Let no one bewail his poverty, for the universal kingdom has been revealed. Let no one weep for his iniquities, for pardon has shone forth from the grave. And let no one fear death, for the Savior's death has set us free. He that was held prisoner of it has annihilated it by descending into hell. He made hell captive. He embittered it when it tasted of his flesh, and Isaiah foretelling this did cry. He said he was embittered when it encountered thee in the lower regions. It was embittered, for it was abolished. It was embittered, for it was mocked. It was embittered, for it was slain. It was embittered, for it was overthrown. It was embittered, for it was fettered in chains. It took a body and met God face to face. It took earth and encountered heaven. It took that which was seen and fell upon the unseen. And um, I really think that that is like the embodiment of what we're building up to in Holy Week. Amen. Well, 
we've given you some hopefully toe holds and hand holds to start uh, finding your way through these passages. Uh, these are some powerful things, and we'll be praying for you, listeners, as you're a preacher or someone you who will be preaching us. on these days. And do pray for us. And God bless you, and we'll look forward to seeing you guys in New York for the Mockingbird Conference at the end of April, April 26th, sorry, 20, yeah, 28th, 29th, 30th, ember.com to sign up. Until then, may God bless you and keep you. Somebody's looking, somebody cares, somebody wonders what you're Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.